All right, let's pray. We'll get into the word today. Father, thank you today for the opportunity to stand before your people and share your word today. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive what you have for us this day. Lord, a spirit of revelation knowledge into our hearts. God, we thank you for your word that's being sown today. Your word is an incorruptible seed sown into our hearts. So, Father, we thank you for that today. Lord, thank you for every bondage, every addiction, every stronghold, God, is broken broken off of broken off of our lives in the name of Jesus and father I just pray for I just felt led to pray this Lord I pray for every marriage today Lord I pray God that the eyes of our understanding would be open God of your love and your call and your grace on marriages and father I pray specifically today for marriages that are that are struggling right now in the name of Jesus I thank you father for your grace I thank you father that your love oh God has been shed abroad into our hearts by the Holy Spirit so father we thank you for that love that wins love always wins when we say, I can't take any more, God, your love can. So, Father, we thank you for your grace and your love today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just felt led to throw that in there at the end. Uh, so if that's you today, if there's something kind of going on in your, in your marriage and you're kind of struggling a little bit, one thing I'd really encourage you to do is Wednesday night come to the marriage group that we have. Uh, Chris said it really is a good group. We sit down, we watch a video. It's really some excellent teaching, and then we, we have discussions around the table and just talk about that, and as he said, we learn from one another. All right, so we're studying this great little book. It's the last book in the Old Testament, which is what? Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and again, God is, he's raised up this great straight-talking uh, guy named Malachi, who is a no-holds-bar uh, kind of guy. He tells it like it is. Uh, Malachi has a very unique style in his teaching, uh, not his teaching, but in his prophetic utterances. He he kind of does it in a dialogue where God, uh, he speaks, God speaks through him for God says this and the people give some kind of a, a lame excuse and then God gives a rebuttal. So we see that about seven or eight times uh, throughout the book. And uh, so God again, he has a, he's sent Malachi in uh, to reestablish these standards of excellence that have gone down, 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 down. And he's coming in and he's kind of addressing these things. And what we're looking at last week, we saw uh, he talked about specifically the spiritual life. Um, and then this week, we're going to talk about a relational life. Next week, about financial life. And then the week after that, fourth week, we're going to talk about uh, faith and our hope. All of those areas have gone down. And uh, it's just so, so important that chapter one, again, we saw that their, their, their excellence in their spiritual life had gone down as evidenced by the sacrifices that they were bringing. They knew that the word of God that had been passed down from generation to generation, that God had the standard of excellence of what he required as a blood sacrifice, what they would to bring uh, their lamb. If they couldn't afford a lamb, then they could bring a, a dove or a pigeon. But they, there was something for every family should be able to, to be able to bring that. And that those that were, had, um, that, you know, were farmers, it was an aggregate society and farming, and they were to go through their herds and they were to pick out the best. They weren't to pick the ones that were crippled, the ones that were blind, the ones that were about ready to die. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were picking out the worst and bringing it to the priest to put up on the altar as a sacrifice. And the priests were letting them get away with it. And I want you to understand, this isn't just some history Sunday school lesson uh, for us to, to learn some things from. But on the contrary, this, is, this is certainly holds meaning in our life. Because we have, we have a spiritual life. We have a financial life. We have a relational life. We have a faith and we have hope. And if we're not careful, just like, just like the, the children of Israel in Malachi's day, our standards will go down, down, down. So again, it's important, again, that we, live, that we learn to give God our best. 
in every area of our life, we need to give God our best. God deserves our best, doesn't he? He does. He deserves our best in all of those things. And even though the priests uh, were strongly rebuked and they were being held accountable, the people still had accountability. The priest, again, in, in all that chapter one that we looked at, and we're going to see it still in chapter two, there's some, he's speaking specifically to the priest, but the people had a responsibility also. It kind of reminds me of in <clears throat> Exodus 33. Exodus 33 is talking about uh, the watchman, uh, that the people to appoint watchmen to watch. And the Bible says, and again, it has a prophetic meaning that when he, they see the sword coming and when they see the enemy coming, the watchman is to warn the people. And if he warns the people and the people don't listen, and they don't listen, then they're, they're, it could cost them their life. They're, you know, they're going to be taken. They could be killed. And their blood would be on their own hands. But if the, if this, if the watchman, it says in Ezekiel 33, it says if the watchman sees the sword coming, sees the enemy coming, and he doesn't warn the people, the people are still going to be taken, and they're going to be killed, he says, but their blood will be on the watchman's hands. And that's what the role that the priest had, and really today the role that the pastors have, is to be watchmen over the body of Christ, to be watchmen over, uh, over their churches. So again, we see that, and, and uh, Malachi, again, uh, we're reminded again of the, 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 the responsibility, again, that he gave the priest. You know, the Bible says in James 3, 1, that shouldn't desire the, to teach the Word of God. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher, because you know, in James, it says that those who teach the Word will have, be held to a stricter judgment. Do you know that? The Bible also says in Hebrews 13 that you would want to do everything within your ability to make your pastor happy. <laughs> and that he could do his job with joy. Because if he didn't, if you put wrinkles on his forehead, it says it will not be well with you. And, and Proverbs, uh, Hebrews 13, 17, make sure you look that up, some of you. I'm just teasing with you. You've got a great church here. You guys are great. So let's see what Malachi said. Let's see what he said here in chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, and again, we're going to see the importance today of our word, keeping our word, being people of our word. Listen, when God, when we think of God, we think of him communicating. You know, sometimes we have this, you know, sometimes people have this image of this, this kind old grandfatherly gentleman who just speaks very kind and, and very nice, but God can speak stern, and God's tone sometimes can be uh, anything but soft and anything but gentle. Sometimes it can be pretty strong. Um, you know, sometimes if, a, if there was a, a fire uh, in the house, uh, say like a mom's in the kitchen and she's cooking and the fire starts and it starts to engulf the kitchen and, and there's kids upstairs and they're doing homework or they're playing video games or something, she's not going to go to the steps and say, children, children, the kitchen's on fire and <clears throat> I think we need to go out in the front yard. Mom, I want to finish my game. No, no, it's really, it's, a, it's, it's dangerous. Come on, it's fire. No, she's going to be screaming at him, get out of the house. I mean, she's going to yell that she's going to use a stronger tone. And so, and if she don't, and sometimes one of the most unloving things that you can do is just talk like this when there's danger. Come on, kids. You know, that's not very loving. You want to save somebody's life. And so God here in this chapter, we're going to see he used a pretty, pretty strong tone here. God is speaking uh, here to, again, to the spiritual leaders that they need to return, again, to honoring people uh, or else it's not going to go well for the people. Now, if you've never read Malachi before, I want you to hold on to your seats because, again, some pretty strong stuff here. You ready? 
Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says, Listen, you priest, this command is for you. So again, he's still talking to the priest here. Listen to me, and to make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's army, or I'll bring terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings that you receive. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you have not taken my warnings to heart. I will punish your descendants. That's their kids. He got my attention when he said that as a parent. You know, God, your kids are going to get cursed. Hey, I'm, I'm going to wake up. I'm, going to ch- I'm definitely going to change some things. He said, I'll punish your descendants and splatter your faces with manure, with doo-doo, with poop. However you see it, it's nasty. I'm going to manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. Then at last you will know that it is I who sent you this warning so that my covenant with the Levites, that's the priests, can be continued, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And again, the last thing that, that's the last thing that I would want to hear from God was a thing like that, that I've been doing something so lousy that it's going to come on, not only on me, but it's going to come on my, on my kids as well. Because one of the jobs that the priests had is they were supposed to speak blessings over the people. One of the blessings was, the, was, was called the high priestly blessing, and that was um, in uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. Let me read this to you. It says, this is the blessing that they would p- speak many times. It says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord uh, smile at you, smile on you, and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace, and give you his peace. You know, there was a guy in the Bible named Balaam, and he was a prophet of God. And uh, he, he had such a reputation that if he spoke a blessing over you, man, you were blessed. And if he spoke a curse over you, then it was, man, it was all over for you, man. It was, it was, it was bad news. And this king heard about him come and hired him to come put a, a curse on this army that was coming against him. Little did he know that that was the apple of God's eye that was coming against him. It was the children of Israel. He got this prophet of God to go. He asked him to come and curse these people. And he says, well, let me see what God says. He goes and asks God, can he go? He comes back and says, no, God says I can't go. And so that God says I can't go. In other words, he wants to go, but he can't go. So he goes back. And he says, let me go back and see what else God will say. And he goes back. He says, what should he have told that guy? What should he have told Balaam? No, I'm not going. God said, no, I'm not going to go. But let me go see what else God will say. God said, all right, you want to go? Go, pal. But you only can say what I have to tell you to say. So when he goes and he overlooks the, the army of Israel from a mountain, he looks down and there's that king standing next to him. He starts to, wants him to pronounce a curse on him. And all he does, he says, he opens it. Remember, God told him, he says, the only thing you can say is, is what I tell you to say. So when he opened up his mouth, all he could do was bless Israel. And that king got furious. So again, when the, when the king or when the priest put the blessing on you, you're supposed to be blessed. But again, now here, now Malachi is saying, telling these priests, the blessings that you're saying are actually becoming a curse on the people. So, um, so again, they're, they're hurting. They're hurting the people. They're hurting the priests. We're hurting God's people by not holding the people accountable, by letting them bring those sacrifices that they were bringing. You know, they were bringing them, the priests were saying, oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were getting kickbacks. I don't know. Money can make people do some crazy things. And maybe they're here, take this one up there and just throw that up there. And here's you a few bucks, priest. You know, this, just kind of say, okay, this was God. And they were doing it. And again, God didn't appreciate that. So where was the teaching? Where was the instruction from the priest, again, that should have been there? Again, their priest, again, the priest, their job was to honor God faithfully and to, to give the image. They were represented God in this thing. And when they didn't do right, again, they gave, God, they gave God a bad name. It kind of reminds me of that verse that we looked at last week in Revelation uh, about the seven churches. Revelation, the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Uh, you remember he said they did a lot of great things. He said, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. 
and you've turned your back and you don't love me like you used to and you don't love others like you used to. He says, and because of that, he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'd rather you be hot. You know, the Bible says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. You think God wants you to be cold for him? I don't think so. I think he wants us to be hot. But he said, I'd rather, in that situation, I'd rather us be hot, I mean cold, than I'd rather us be hot, rather you be cold or hot, rather than lukewarm. There it is. I knew I'd get it somewhere. I knew it was coming, it was coming in me. But uh, he said, God doesn't, he would rather us be cold. Why, why, would, why would that? Why do you think God would say, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm? Because lukewarm Christian is a bad advertisement for a great God. I tell you, we leave a lukewarm life, you know, you, just, you got one foot in the world and one, really got one, one, one toe over in Christianity and, and the rest of your body's over in the world and you're doing things and all of a sudden you, once a person dies and, and then there's going to always be some priest, some pastor is going to preach them into heaven. Boy, they're good. Boy, they were good. Boy, they're in a better place now. And people that work with them, knew with them, that partied with them and did all these things with them, and that's, well, they look at each other and put, well, if he's in heaven, I'm going there too. A lukewarm Christian is a bad advertisement for a great God, and it leads people to hell. So again, really, up to this point, again, the, a lot of the accusations that I've said has been leveled against the priests, but now Malachi's going to turn the, the mirror, remember the, the word of God the, is like a mirror to us, he's going to turn it on the people. Again, and now he's talking to them about raising standards of excellence in their relationships, or we could call this relational excellence. A lot of times we use words. Words are important to us. We use words like this, with this ring I thee wed, through sickness and in health, till death do us part, and a marriage is born. You know, a Christian couple, they, take a, they have a baby, and they take it to a church, and they, they hold it up, and they, they commit to raise that child in the admonition and the, and the nurture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a, and a Christian family is born. A group of men sign a piece of paper and they raise their hands and they say, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor, and a nation is born. You know, people raise, put their hand on the Bible and raise their, their right hand and they, they give an oath that the words that they're going to say are going to be the truth, the absolute truth. A businessman or a woman signs a contract either for themselves or maybe for a company that they represent and they said that we agree to do this or to pay this back or to, to give you these kinds of services. The fact is that we are a, we are a promise-making people. We are a promise-making people, but if we're not intentional, we will be a promise-breaking people. Kids sometimes uh, leery of uh, words of adults because they've been let down so many times, you know, and, you know, Dad, I'll be home, I'll do this, we'll go here, we'll do this, and sometimes it doesn't happen, and just going on. So kids kind of come up with their own covenant, so to speak, and somebody will say something to them. Might be like granddad's going to say, hey, son, we're going to go to the zoo this week, and the kid might find him, grandpa might hear his kid say, do you promise? Do you cross your heart? Do you hope to die? Stick a needle in your eye. And the grandpa's like, son, what, what, hope to die? What do you mean? Because the kid's been let down so many times. At the very heart of relational excellence is promise-making and promise-keeping. Let me say that one more time. At the very heart of relational excellence is promise-making and promise-keeping. I love this passage of Scripture in, in Psalms 15. Now, David was the psalmist who wrote this. And he, he asked this question. This is out of the Message Bible. It says this, who gets invited to dinner at your place? Talking to God. Who gets invited to dinner at your place? How do I get it on your guest list? And here's what God says. Walk straight, act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friends. Don't blame your neighbor. Despise the despicable. And I love verse 5. Keep your word even when it costs you. Keep your word. Be a person of your word even if it costs you. Even if a better opportunity, if a better deal comes up. Keep your word. Make an honest living. Never take a bribe. 
You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. So there's some good words. So the Bible, in the Bible, uh, it uses words for promise-making and promise-keeping. And it's the word called covenant. Covenant. Promise-making and promise-keeping is a covenant. And a covenant is a, is a vow. It's a sacred pledge. It's a declaration of the heart. It's a covenant that deals with honoring. You honor your words by your actions. Your words back up exactly what you say. And make no mistake, God set the bar of covenantal excellence. Everything God did, it was excellence. If we took time to do a study over all the covenants that God made, starting with Adam and Noah and Abraham, we always find that God makes a covenant and man breaks it. God comes back and he makes a covenant and man breaks it. Over and over and over, God makes covenants and man continued to break it. If you'll notice in your Bible, if you look in the index, you'll see the Old Testament and the New Testament. And really what that is, it's Old Covenant and New Covenant. Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has given us a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. Our covenant is so much better than the Old Testament, than the Old Covenant. So much better. I like to compare it to a $50 bill and a $100 bill. The $100 bill's got everything the 50's got in it and better and more. So our covenant is so much better than we have with God. And he's asking us, why do we break covenant? Why do we break covenant with, with, our, with people that's important? We have husbands and wives and parents and children and, and friend and friend all breaking covenants at times. <clears throat> the relationship uh, that Malachi talks with about the most in chapter 2 here is the marriage covenant. I want you to notice what he says in Malachi chapter 2 verse 13 through 15. Again, this is out of the New Living Translation said, here's another thing to do. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with your tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remains your faithful partner, your wife of your marriage vows. Verse 15, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? That's the, that's the miracle of the marriage is the two become one. And again, remember, marriage was instituted to be an example of the marriage between Christ and his church. When we get born again, we become one with him. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells on the inside of us, and our spirits and the Holy Spirit become one. It's a miracle of the new birth. Verse 15 goes on to say, in body and spirit, you're his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union so guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Again, God is saying in here, here, if you break faith with your spouse, don't bother coming to me with your wish list. Listen, he goes on to say one of the strongest statements in all of Scripture. Again, this is God says, for I hate divorce. God says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Boy, it sounds like he's really talking a lot to the men there, doesn't it? But listen, <clears throat> those of us who are married, we didn't enter into a bargain. We didn't enter into some kind of a transaction that's kind of a conditional thing. People today seem to think that it is conditional marriage. As long as I'm happy, as long as you meet all of my expectations, as long as I'm pleased, I'll stay married to you. But that's not what we entered into when we got married. 
Most married couples, uh, they wear a ring. Uh, they put a ring on, and they share rings, uh, exchange rings, and it's a symbol of their marriage covenant. This is uh, some of the vows that Paul and I have used in marriages that we've done. This is the part of the ring ceremony that we did at our own, our own marriage. The ring is a token of our marriage covenant. It is made of gold, which is a type which is least tarnished and most fittingly enduring, fittingly representing the ties that binds a husband and a wife. The ring is a never-ending circle teaching us of God's love and the love between a man and a woman. It is a symbol of God's endless love, which shall rule and reign in your marriage. And then we go on and talk about love of God that's on the inside of us. So again, most of us have gotten married. We exchanged rings. Now today, sometimes people are putting, uh, instead of a ring, they're putting a tattoo on. I guess that last two. Uh, but there, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing, ah, your marriage will last forever if you use a, put on a gold ring or a white ring. But again, it's a, it's a covenant. It's a sign. The, the ring is simply a sign of a covenant, which usually includes for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish through good times and bad times. We promise to love each other. Our love will be deeper than crow's feet, laugh lines, receding hairlines, and bulging waistlines. That's what our marriage covenants mean. So how are you doing? Those of you that are married, you've made a covenant with your, with your spouse. How are you doing in that? You know, it would be a good conversation to have. Maybe a good lunch conversation. Maybe sometime this week. Just maybe look at your spouse. Talk to each other. How am I doing on the vows that I said to you? You know, there's a, a marriage um, curriculum that Paul and I had used several years to uh, it's a book, uh, I wish, uh, what, is it, what was the one that was for what he nailed, what she needs to know, what he needs to know, a book for the men, a book for the women, and it had a question in there that an exercise that you could do, and it was to ask your spouse, is there, any, is there any way, anything that I could do to prove my love for you more? Is there anything I could do to prove how much you mean to me? And I, honestly, I was always afraid to ask Paula that question. I wanted to ask her, but I wanted the answer to be, no, honey, you are doing everything. <laughs> but I had a feeling there were some things that she would say. So I never asked her, but I'm going to ask her today. <laughs> I'm sure it would be, he had to do with burp, burping and Putin and, and all those kind of things, wouldn't it, Paula? <laughs> Putting my shoes away, moving stuff from that magic... I, we bought a magic sink that's supposed to translate it over to the dishwasher, but it, it hasn't worked since we've got it. She keeps having to move it over to the dishwasher. So that's something that my boys and my, my little daughter, we haven't learned, have we? God, stay with us. But listen, perhaps, perhaps you're here today and your marriage ended. Maybe your spouse was unfaithful to you or abusive or you were, they refused to change. Maybe it was something on your part that you did, and, but there was a try for reconciliation and it just, it just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. There are scriptural grounds for divorce. Divorce is not the untieable knot. It's not the unpardonable sin. There's abandonment, abuse, desertion, infidelity. The Bible says if he, want, if he doesn't want to be talking to women, if he doesn't want to be married with you, or I guess it would be a man, if he doesn't want to be married with you, let them go. You haven't sinned. And if a person, if a person uh, abuses a person, whether that's a sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, if it's abuse, that's saying, I don't want to be married to you anymore. A person should not have to stay in that kind of a relationship. God doesn't hold them to that. Something else is very important as we talk about Malachi, again, is raising, as he talks about, in all of these chapters about raising the standard of excellence to the people in that nation. Is sometimes when people go through the pain of divorce, they go through the pain of a broken, broken relationship or a broken covenant. They never, set the, they never reset the standard. They never reset the standard. The, 
Uh, the, average, the average marriage um, today, they say, is 50% chance you'll make it. Sometimes it's less than that. 54% of marriages end in divorce. 75% of second marriages end in divorce. 85% of, of third marriages end in divorce. And if you're a person that you have gone through divorce, that I encourage you, I encourage you to reset the standard of excellence. Reset that standard. God, my value is honoring the covenant of marriage. I'll learn from my mistakes and I'll grow in your love and I'll follow your example and I'll be a covenant keeper. And most importantly, I want you to understand this. If you've been through a divorce, receive the grace of God. Receive God's grace. As I said, it's not the unpardonable sin. There's been people that have had terrible marriages and God doesn't want us staying in terrible marriages. Listen, when you get married, uh, we normally say, we normally make promises. We normally say them out loud where people in the congregation can hear as, the, as witnesses of our vows. God certainly stands within that marriage and listens to, to those vows. <clears throat> when a child arrives, uh, we don't make any promises. We don't have to stand up in front of anybody and make any promises. They just show up. But when children come, when children come, they come with a clause. Remember, children are a blessing from the Lord. Children are an inheritance from the Lord, the Bible says, and they come with a clause, and that clause is this, no matter what. They come with a clause, no matter what, I'll be there for you, no matter what, I'll love you, no matter what, I'll equip you for life, I'll, I'll feed you, I'll read to you, I'll teach you how to throw a, throw a ball and read a bike and play with your toys, I'll teach you uh, about friends, and I'll teach you about work, and I'll teach you about money, I'll teach you how to love, oh, I will teach you how to love and I will teach you most importantly about our God and when it comes times I will let you go no strings attached no matter what listen maybe your child is is one of the brightest in the classes and gets wonderful grades maybe they go on to one of the one of the prestige colleges and universities and and make great grades they embark on a successful career and make you look like an absolute genius or maybe your child struggles in schools and he deals with depression. He rejects your values. He's rejected your God. Um, he, he's, maybe he's run away from home. And, uh, but when we enter into parenthood, that same child came with a clause, no matter what, I will always be there for you. The only way that we get released from that clause is when one of us dies. This covenant, the child covenant, no matter what, is most like the covenant that God has with us. Yes. We came with God as a no matter what. God loves you no matter what. If you run from him, if you hate him, no matter what, God never, ever stops loving you. Never, ever, ever, ever. So how are you doing with your promises? How are you doing with the promises that you gave? Do you set good examples for your children to being promise, promise keepers? Teaching them the value of their word, how important it is for us to keep our words. I'm not going to go into this, but there's, there's other covenants that we make with our friends. There's covenants that we make with our employers. There's covenants that we make with our neighbors. And sometimes there's some that are just kind of unspoken. Is that I'll be there for you. I'll honor my word. If I tell you I'll do something, then I'll do those things. Malachi ends this section. He ends this section with this admonishment in verse 16. He says, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith or do not break covenant is another word. Listen, these things matter to God. They matter to God in Malachi's day, and they matter to God the same just as equally today, that we would be promise keepers, we'd be people of our word, that our relationships would be strong based on our words and our covenants that we make with people. Amen?
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you. Oh, God, we bless you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Listen, this is one of those, one of those messages that's it's just a, a great time afterwards, sometime today, sometime this week. Don't let, it, don't let it pass you by. But just take some inventory in your life, the words that you gave, the promises that you gave at work and home and your marriage to your children. You know, if you tell your kids you're going to do something, make sure that you do it. Are you, are you faithful with that? Maybe there's some people that we need to go back to and say, you know what, I gave my word and I said I would do this and I didn't do it. Again, we need to clean things up. If we, we need to show people that at the importance of keeping our word, it matters to God. It matters to Him. So, Father, again, we thank you. Holy Spirit, you live big on the inside of us. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord God. Thank you for the word. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for Holy Spirit bringing things to our remembrance. Lord, as an act of our will, we choose today to be promised keepers, covenant keepers in the name of Jesus. We bless you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.